0: to eat something I actually enjoy so I would just look at the ingredients and say actually with those ingredients I could make something that is more to my palate so I I just kind of translated them into Ghanaian food into what I was used to use the flavors that make me happy and that way I was not miserable at all so we ate uh, and the principle was at least a third of your plate fresh vegetables you know whether it's um, vegetables that were roasted Look, fresh vegetables, um, carbs, we did not hold back on the carbohydrates so long, you know, it was rice, it was potatoes, yams, plantains. We, you know, we we ate and we were happy. You know, the only thing I can say we moderated was the fat, we cut out sugar, and meat was controlled. So if I had a drumstick on the day, that would be, you know, I wouldn't go overboard with the meat. And... In a space of four months, I lost 25 pounds. My mom lost 12 pounds, and you know, her blood work was really oh healthy. You know, because she had diabetes, right. but her blood was really healthy. And I said, Look at this. I mean, look, when we have fufu and light soup, we don't put oil in that at all. At all. This it's a fat-free dish, essentially, you know, and it's it's so healthy, it's whole, it's simple, you know. So um so I went through that process and somewhere along that during that time there was
1: Hi everyone, you're listening to item 13 podcast and I'm your host, Yom Tego. Every week we'll delve into the world of African food, including chefs, curators and bloggers. I hope you enjoy it. This week, I speak to Frida Muyambo, a food blogger and writer with expertise in African cuisine and a passion for sharing African culture through food. She often describes herself as having a pan-African palate, having been born and raised in Botswana to Ghanaian parents, and traveling extensively across Africa. She has explored culinary cultures across the broad and bold topic of African cuisine and will often experiment with using ingredients in a new way. Frida currently resides in Lagos, Nigeria, where she's acquiring primary knowledge in the use of local flavors, indigenous fruits, and spices. One of her greatest accomplishments has been developing a creative recipe using a local Nigerian fruit, Agbalumo, the African cherry, incorporating it into a dessert she has named Agbalumo Blondie. She has pitched it to supermarkets and successfully sold it as a new bakery item in Lagos, adding to the Food Valley chain and culinary history of the country. Frida continues to explore how she can use indigenous produce to promote food security within Africa. For my interview with Frida, we met in the vibrant city of Lagos, her new home base, and chatted about her adventurous cooking spirit and how her Pan-African background led her to starting My Burnt Orange. This conversation was so good, I've split this into a two-part interview. Here's part one, and stay tuned next week for the conclusion of our conversation. Should call you Frida or Frids? Because I see my online. Yes, Frida.
0: you can call me Frida now. Okay. You know, I, I went by Frids when I was too shy. <coughs> I'm not sure what I was doing, but, you know, okay.
1: the full name is Frida. I'm young okay. so you can so call, call me Frida. Frida. So let's start by you taking us back to... 8-year-old feeder or 10-year-old oh, feeder? What were you like? What were your influences? Wow. Do you know what? It's
0: interesting that you say 8 years old because it was when I was 8 years old, that's when I cooked my very first Oh,
1: dish. literally? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just picked a random number. Yeah, no. I cooked my very first mm. dish
0: with my dad. Uh, and it was very simple. I boiled spaghetti. <laughs> and my father was so proud of me. The, the whole neighborhood heard about it. We said, without you, can cook spaghetti very well. like, oh, my goodness. But yes, that uh, was uh, eight years old. My mom had traveled, so... Oh, know, interesting. And Did he cook a lot? Because that's
1: surprising for your dad. Your parents are Ghanaian, right? Yes,
0: yes. I can't say that my dad cooked... But you see, my mom would have cooked loads of stews and sauces. So um, you know, at home we would have just had to boil rice or cook spaghetti. So here I was with my dad (laughs) boiling pasta, and and so proud. Yes, no, honestly, my dad was my I think my greatest cheerleader. You know, honestly. And uh, yeah, no, good stuff oh, cool. good So stuff. this is
1: you were in, so I know you're truly Pan-African So was this when you were in Botswana? Because I know you have Ghanaian parents, but then you sort of grew up Absolutely,
0: absolutely Yeah, so my backstory is I have Ghanaian parents So I can say I am fully Ghanaian okay. and <laughs> proud of it um, however, I was born in Botswana and lived there. I grew up there my whole life up until I left for university. Oh,
1: really? So I didn't know it was that long. It was that long. to oh, so truly South Af- Southern African Yes, also. I'm Southern
0: African, so I am 100% Ghanaian. It's yeah. in my blood. I was born a Botswana
1: citizen. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. That yeah. I didn't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah. Nice so then you left for university where did you go so London is that where and how you ended up in
0: London or No no I went uh down under. So
1: Australia.
0: <laughs> yes, 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 uh-huh. yes. I went to Australia. I went to Melbourne. Okay. Um, and lived there for five and a half years. I did my university oh
1: my there. I'm starting to so
0: many new things. About yes. You. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. No, I, I did my my uni there. I studied for four years there. And I think in Melbourne started to really fall in love with food Mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, tell people a bit more about my background through food. I mean, I remember um, having some friends over for dinner and I would typically cook Ghanaian food because that was what I was used to. That was what I knew. And that was way back before I started exploring with
1: all sorts of okay. cuisine. So, even when you went Botswana, your parents were primarily cooking Ghanaian food and you were also cooking Ghanaian food. Absolutely. we not experimenting with more Southern African food. No,
0: between? we we were. In fact, I'd say at home we, we ate Southern African food, we ate Ghanaian okay. food. So, there isn't any Ghanaian dish that my family would eat that I, I don't know. Okay. You know, even though the interesting thing is. Um, you know, we grew up in Botswana at a time where you couldn't get yams, you couldn't get plantains in Botswana. But that did not stop my mom mm-hmm. from giving us a Ghanaian palate. She would make fufu using potato flour. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I, I credit a lot of my inventiveness mm-hmm. to my mom because, you know, you improvise. Right. Just because you don't have the authentic right. thing doesn't mean you can't have an authentic Ghanaian meal yeah, right, in front sorry. of you. I should try that
1: potato fufu. Yeah, no, you,
0: you just mix the potato mash, it's like potato mash yeah. flour, and you need some cornstarch. Yeah. And oh, yeah, so that's what really yeah. pulls it together and forms that gloopiness that you get from, yeah. from the fufu.
1: Alright,
0: then yeah. from Melbourne you went to because that's how, that's how I know you. So you yes, can't ask, yes. I, yes, I became in a Londoner. Londoner. I became a Londoner in my twenties, mid twenties. So yeah, so I finished in Melbourne. I, I got married, you know, I met a, a young lad in <laughs> Melbourne, <laughs> not from Australia, he's actually from Zimbabwe. See?
1: We're Which adds another dimension. In, yes.
0: <laughs> it adds another dimension to my pan African yeah. because I am raising Zimbabwean children. Yeah. You know, so they are also learning to have a Zimbabwean palate mm-hmm. as well as Ghanaian right. and now living in Nigeria, they yes. are experiencing some Nigerian foods. It's cool. you know, it's all part yeah, of our yeah. story. Yeah. So yes, so then um, we moved to London. 2006. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, lived there for quite quite a while. It was uh, nearly 10 years. But in London is where the story of my burnt orange really started, you know, because by now I had hosted a few dinner parties, so I had gained some confidence and our thing was just having friends over yeah. for food conversation, laughs, and we had this little quaint fireplace, so we would just eat and chill. It was so lovely. Were um,
1: a variety of different African foods, mm. or you were doing a mishmash of, you know, because of your time in Melbourne, you are also in London, which is the very cosmopolitan city, yes. so trying to do a little bit of everything, yes. if
0: you will. Do you know, I think it was it was a mixture of everything, Uh, I would always have something African inspired there, you know. Jollof featured a lot because who who has a dinner party without jollof? I mean, that's this is what I know. And you know, depending on if we had loads of Zimbabweans, you know, it was such a treat having the traditional uh, starch called sadza Mm -hmm. which is cornmeal, Uh, cornmeal very very similar to polenta. It's like white polenta. Mm So, you know, we'd have that. But I remember a typical spread for me would include, I'd have jollof, I'd have a salad, I would make my mom's goat kebabs, and I would make a, a roast chicken, you know, that, uh, yeah, it would either be, you know, just marinated with loads of spices, mm-hmm. salt, and, you know, something I picked up from a friend, uh, who's by my husband's cousin, was he would stuff the chicken with a whole
1: lemon, put
0: in some ginger, that was
1: very nice. In oh, fact, I can I smell it. Yes, can yes, smell
0: it. And I remember, you know, once we had a, a French lady come over and she just kept saying, Oh, boulet! You know, she was she was crazy about the the aroma. Yeah. You know, it, it was wonderful. And actually, I, 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 I tasted some chicken the other day. I can't remember where that... Reminded me of that, uh, yeah. you know, that roast. So that, you know, I would, I would put almost anything... Yeah and everything on the table and you know one of my f- best friends would always say Frida you always went to town so you know so i would have a stew i would have goat kebab i would have a roast chicken and i would always have a banana bread as dessert especially when my sister moved over to london cuz she she was the baker in in the family so she you know she would do her banana bread yeah. with this uh, cream cheese frosting. Uh-huh. Look, it wasn't for people who needed to diet. Yeah. <laughs> because it was, it was just food, loads yeah. of food, hearty, healthy. Right. Not thinking of portion control. I mean, we were in our twenties, you know. Nobody needed no <laughs> needed that back then. Yeah, so, and and that's how, and and actually the reason why I say that's how my Burnt Orange story started was um, our first flat in London where we hosted most of our dinners, um, the kitchen walls were this... Vibrant burnt orange oh, color. So,
1: it, so that's why the inspiration. Or the that is, yeah, yeah. No,
0: I mean it's such a vibrant color. One of my favorite colors. Okay. It's just bold, and yeah, and that uh, you know one of my memories I've taken away from that flat is mm. you know our massive table that just about filled the entire <laughs> kitchen. You know, London flats right, are not yeah. that spacious, but we plop that table in the middle of this kitchen um, in the midst of burnt orange walls. It was beautiful. So I took, you know, when we moved from that place and we moved there once we had started yeah. having kids, um, it, it became the inspiration for my blog. So whilst the, you know, because of the the shift and change in balancing family life, you know, couldn't do as many of these Grand dinners, mm. but I took that burnt orange kitchen yeah. with me in a way that's so cool. and created my blog.
1: That's cool. I, I actually always thought that it came from a recipe or something when you were cooking with an orange, and so that's sort of how honestly that's actually that's actually a really even more poignant story, like reminding you yep. of like what food does in terms of bringing people together. Yes, and, and all of that. It's, yes. It's a, it, it, and it does that in the most
0: powerful way yeah. because we would we would
1: have food, and
0: you know, um, you we know, are married to a Zimbabwean, so we would often have Zimbabweans over, and there was food and the banter was always yeah. around politics.
1: Yes, <laughs> I was going to say when Africans yes, food and politics—you <laughs> yeah. couldn't separate them. Yeah. So you
0: know, it was fun, but it was deep. Yeah, <laughs>
1: good stuff. So then. My mentor inspired the name for the food blog. But then, yes. what inspired actually starting the food blog? So, what what was the big aha? Like, okay, I like to cook. Yeah, so I'm doing all of this good stuff. So, the big aha,
0: and it, it's very clear to me where it all started. So, by this time, uh, two thousand and ten, I had already had my first child. Okay. You know, and being in my very late twenties, very near thirty. Um, now having to face the challenge of trying to keep it tight, you know, <laughs> you keep, lose weight, lose the baby fat and all that jazz. And so for, I think when my daughter was, yeah, by the time my daughter had turned one, I had lost all the baby weight and even, you know, got back to looking slimmer and fitter than I had done in years. And... I remember I had done this, uh, doing healthy eating, but it wasn't anything to do with, you know, the diet fads of today. We're eating copious (laughs) amounts of meat and fat and no carbohydrates. I was eating fufu, plantain.
1: Oh, goodness. Like all the...
0: No, I was eating all the, what I like to call the Ghanaian whole foods. I was eating all of those. I was um, cooking as much as I could oil-free, or if I used oil. I mean, if I wanted an eggplant or okra stew, I I would cook it, but I would measure my palm oil. So, you know, I still had all the flavors that I wanted in there, and I would eat loads of it. And the, the main principle was, you know, so long as the uh, carbohydrates were not refined like flour yeah. or cereals.
1: That's so interesting to yeah. me that someone was, was um, justifying, if you will, um, eating fufu <laughs> to me the other day saying that at least it's not processed. And it made me stop and think, and I was like, you know, that's right. Like, I mean, it's all in moderation, of course, but like a lot of our foods, like you're saying, are whole foods—they right? are whole foods—and the problem is processed, yes. processed, refined foods. Yes, yeah. they are whole foods. They are what our
0: ancestors ate. Mm-hmm. They are paleo. <laughs> Hello, seriously. Yeah.
1: I mean, we could tell people we invented this stuff. I know. Stuff, I always keep saying. I said. I said African food is not just about. Oh, you know, bringing it to the world is not just about bringing the spices and the flavors, but also the healthy eating aspect. Yes, there is a misconception. There is a misconception. Our food is not healthy.
0: No, our our food really is healthy. So I remember, um, so trying to lose weight, my mom was around at that time as well, and we joined this uh, kind of um, sort of slimming support (laughs) group. And all their recipes, you know, minestrone soup, you know, things that I was like, look, if I had to eat this, I'd be, yeah, sure, they taste nice, but it's not what I'm accustomed to eating every day, and I want to eat something I actually enjoy, so I would just look at the ingredients and say, actually, with those ingredients, I could make something that is more to my palate, so I I just kind of translated them into Ghanaian food, into what I was used to, use the flavors that... Make me happy, and that way I was not miserable at all. So we ate, uh, and the principle was uh, at least a third of your plate fresh vegetables. You know, whether it's um, vegetables that were roasted, look, fresh vegetables, um, carbs. We did not hold back on the carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. So long, you know, it was rice, it was potatoes, yams, plantains we you know we we ate and we were happy you know the only thing I can say we moderated was the fat we cut out sugar and meat was controlled so if I had a drumstick on the day that would be you know I wouldn't go overboard with the meat and in a space of four months I lost 25 pounds my mom lost 12 pounds and you know her blood work was really oh healthy you know cuz she had diabetes right. but her blood was really healthy and i said look at this i mean look when we have fufu and light soup we don't put oil in that at all right. at all this it's a fat free dish essentially you know and it's it's so healthy it's whole it's simple yeah. you know so um so i went through that process and somewhere along that during that time there was a TV program that aired um, I can't remember what channel now you know it's, it's a long time ago but it was called The World's Healthiest Diet or something like that so the presenter traveled to Japan he went to the Mediterranean America England India and one other place and I thought man he's really covered the entire world except Africa so I thought this, this you know well, I, I just thought, well, who could blame him because we're not talking about our food. And things have changed now. It's been a few years. But back then, you couldn't find much information about African food. Nobody was singing about it. Nobody was promoting it as a healthy healthy food or celebrating. I mean, th- there were people, but really, in you know how many are we, billions of people in the mm. world, literally, there's hardly anyone creating a dent or creating waves in the space of African cuisine. So I, I, you know, got to the end of my weight loss goals. We finished off with a trip to Ghana. I remember it was around Christmas. My baby was one. I came to Ghana, was eating fufu, soup. <laughs> Everything even more liberally, and I, I lost a further six pounds in that time. Remember, got back to my support group, and the lady was like, Who goes on a Christmas holiday and loses weight? And I said,
1: Literally so I've been running around, I, th- I would think. Yeah, <laughs> honestly.
0: So I thought this, this really inspired me. I said, I've eaten my food, mm. I've lost weight, I'm healthy. Why not celebrate it? So then I decided, I'm going to start blogging about my food. I'm going to start blogging about what I ate. Mm-hmm. And so I created my, my blog. Was
1: blogging a big thing then? Like, what Like what made you think, oh, I want to take this out of the world, and I'll do it by blogging? So... Because I'm trying to think back then. Because social media wasn't a big thing. It thing was, It wasn't
0: a big thing. It wasn't a big thing at all, but I had a couple of friends who blogged about other things that I loved reading their stories. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, when it came to the concept of sharing my story Mm -hmm. about food, I actually, the entrepreneurial side of me was clicking and saying, Write a book. Oh, Oh, yes, I'll be done in six months, you know. So I spent six months taking photos of my food. And I hadn't written anything, and I thought this is quite unfortunate because I'm a very inventive cook. I rarely cook the same thing twice the same way. So I thought, look, this is ridiculous. So whilst I cook, let me document what I'm doing, and you know, I'm not, I'm not about writing yeah, on paper. Way Instagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, if, they, if yeah. Instagram was there back then, I would have. It would have been much easier. Yeah. But what I did was I said, okay, I'm going to take photos of what I do, take the steps and, and write it, you know, record it immediately. And you know what? I may not have the book. It may not be in near sight, but I've it out to the world, you know. So that's how I started, really. It became about promoting African cuisine, promoting African culture, and highlighting that it is actually healthy. We don't need to abandon our ways and we don't need to dismiss our own cultural foods to say, you know, it's for the peasants. You no, know, it's not. It's for us.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, I think because you're the only person that will be truly Pan-African <laughs> this <laughs> month, I want us to, and, and because also we are talking broadly about African food. Yes. Um, I want us to break it down for people that are listening, that are not familiar with African food. Yes. So let's do it on a regional basis, right? So you've had Western African experience and heritage, Southern African. I'm sure you know a little bit about Northern and then Eastern African food. So let's, for someone that's sort of being introduced to African food, how would you describe generally West African food versus East African food versus Southern African and
0: Northern? Okay. Okay. So I would say that, uh, and the way I've done this uh, over the years is to divide Africa into not four quadrants, mm-hmm. but into five. Okay. Because uh, what you have in East Africa is you have the horn, which oh, is right. Ethiopia, Eritrea, Djibouti, so- Somalia, and those that area alone is so unique yeah. that it deserves to be... Categorized in a yeah. in its no, own it's subcategory, and Central Africa. So actually six, oh, that's right. yeah. because Central Africa can get forgotten. But there's a lot that yeah, goes on in there. it's usually not
1: there. Western Central Africa, yes. see sometimes, but Central Africa is also. Yes. It, it
0: it really is, and I think it's going to take much more research to actually uncover it because you know what I found about Central Africa is that. Um, you know, because of the languages, you know, there's a lot that is documented in mm-hmm. French, so um, Anglophones may not understand, mm-hmm. yeah. and it may be more difficult to uncover. But I, I spoke to someone from the DRC just last week and she said, "We have more food." than you have in Nigeria. And I think <laughs> that is a bold statement, you know, and I, I really yeah. I, I really wonder. But just to give you an overview, yeah. if we started in West Africa, I'd say, um, you know, this is uh, a region where, you know, even if you look at 18th century maps, you know, you had something called the Pepper Coast. So this is a definite uh, spicy quadrant of Africa, where you have a lot of and a variety of fresh peppers, fresh and aromatic Mm -hmm. peppers. That is what um, distinguishes West Africa. Um, You would also have a secondary, not spice, but flavor that comes from palm oil. You know, you can't have West African food Mm -hmm. without that palm oil Mm -hmm. taste, And the third thing is the actual ingredients we use: dried or smoked fish, smoked crayfish, um, meat that has been smoked. All these add to um, creating that distinctively West African flavour. We can go deeper than that, but in you know, just in a nutshell, we can start there. You know, on the surface, um, on the surface. I'll add. I will add peanuts. Oh, but okay. yeah. but peanuts, I found, is uh, used widely across Africa. You know, then uh, I think I've identified two two things that come up, and I will I will touch on that. So if you move uh, way across towards East Africa, you have a more adventurous, adventurous and universal mix of spices. And I'm not saying heat, I'm saying spices, cinnamon, cardamom, mm. ginger, pepper, black pepper, uh, cloves, mm. okay. cloves, and this is because of the historic spice trade that happened years ago that really fascinates me because you're talking about many thousands of years mm-hmm. even before... Um, eight, uh, B C E. Yes, <laughs> you know, for thousands yes. of years, you you had this uh, spice trade that has happened, which uh, you know, um, yeah, it's it, it's really fascinating. A lot of it touched on uh, Tanzania, particularly Zanzibar. Yeah. That's where you have the nice. the legendary <laughs> spice yeah. islands, and then a lot of it traced um, going towards the north through the Horn of Africa into North Africa. So you have more, uh, more a wide variety of spices, and the introduction of coconut. I'd say if if West Africa has palm oil, East Africa has it's more coconutty, okay. and you know with the sweet array of spices. Uh, what else can I add about East Africa? No, I will stop. I will stop there for now. And and the Horn of Africa because I'm just giving an overview. Yeah. Quite similar, but they have more um, um, more heat and bolder spice blends in in the Horn of Africa this is where you now start getting to the realms of using berber spice oh that's right Yeah, which is a very hot spice but uh, with a um, a variety of of spices that make it what it is Um, if you go to southern Africa so you have I mean, South Africa is a place you can get a lot of, uh, you know, history from at the moment. But if you track, you know, towards the north, you know, into Botswana, into Zimbabwe, this is where I would say you, you will find a lot more indigenous and very old African, purely African cuisines. Yeah, really? And I
1: find that intriguing because when I lived in South Africa, I thought... Yeah. That there wasn't that much depth or um in terms of African, yeah, authentically. Okay, let me explain.
0: Okay, now this is
1: this is <laughs> if you move
0: towards you know Botswana, okay. Zimbabwe, you okay. see more of the authentically yeah. African. And just for people to know, it would typically be um, a staple starch, mm-hmm. whether it is cornmeal or millet um a relish vegetable relish you know spinach or peanut leaves mm-hmm. or pumpkin leaves and meat okay beans as well beans as well so if you if you think about that that is what is uh, typically african and if you go towards central africa towards malawi you know it is similar where the the starch You now get a mixture of uh, corn and plantains or corn and cassava. Mm -hmm. You know, fufu is not only West African. You will Mm -hmm. find fufu in Malawi. They don't call it fufu, but you will find it. You will find it there. So these are the distinctly African foods. Now, South Africa is a melting pot of the African side. The... uh, can I say the European or, or Dutch, French, mm. or what? What do they call those people? Uh, there's a there's a name for the Europeans that came there, the French ones. I can't remember right now. But you have that mixture, and then you have the mixture of the laborers who were brought in um, through either slave trade or you know people who came in from Indonesia, India. Right. Uh, uh, you know, and and the people, especially in the Cape that we now know as the Cape Malay yeah. people, quite a mixture of different cultures. Mm-hmm. So, you have a lot that, uh, you know, what has happened over the years is it's a melting pot of cultures, but South Africa is one where you can't say this is 100% Dutch. There are things that were inspired by that culture, but there are things that come out of South Africa that are actually 100% South African. Okay. Like uh, desserts, for instance, milk tart. Yeah. You know, it's like a custard tart, but it's a milk tart, okay. and that is South African. You've got things like malva, malva pudding. You know, which is, oh, you know, I, I, I would say there's a, the use of fruit, uh, apricots, for instance, okay. that is a component in that food that, uh, I'd say, that has come from both Dutch and the Cape Malay mm. influence, that is South African. Okay. You've got foods like boboti, yeah which is, again, you've got the meat, That's and then good. you've got fruit, then you've got spices. That is South African. In fact, that is a national dish. Now, where I see, um, you know, the, the African does not get left behind, you know. It may not look... As sophisticated, but y- you you won't have a South African bride yeah. without pap.
1: Without pap, yeah. Which is your
0: you know milli meal mill mm-hmm. staple that is African. Yeah. And the chakalaka, meat, yes, and <laughs> chakalaka, and chakalaka. I would say. You know, um, I mean, it may be a a bold claim, but I I would say from what I've seen, this is something that developed in the townships Mm. with the outside influence. You know, the spices were um, introduced there, but this is something that, you know, people who wouldn't have loads of meat in the house or just something basic on the shelves would just put together, make spice and you know, celebrate. Right. So this is this is the African okay. you know, contribution. So it is there. You kind of have to yeah. dig deep and appreciate what you've got. But South Africa is a melting pot. Right. That I would agree. It's yes. the rainbow nation, right? <laughs> yes, yes, it's the rainbow nation. And the other thing you find is that it's such a melting pot because that's where the coast is, that's where the ports are, the outside influences landed mm-hmm. there and tracked through the land and you know, it got more and more it would shift from the outside influences Mm -hmm. to indigenous once you go north towards Botswana, towards Zimbabwe. But there are some practices that I would say became a hybrid of both. Biltong, for instance, is not... Um, an invention only from the outside, the process... Let's
1: describe Biltong first to those who... Yes,
0: what Biltong is, is dried, yeah, it's very much like beef jerky, it is dried meat. And this dried meat, whilst the process of drying enhances the flavor, the drying was done as a form of preservation, when you travel up in villages in Zimbabwe, it's all about preservation. So, look, I can't, I can't, I'm talking African cuisine, I can't tell you what and how they preserve meats over there, but it's something that we were doing here. Yeah. We were doing it here. So, But what you had uh, in South Africa is the introduction of spices, coriander, there's a lot of Mm. coriander and other spices incorporated into biltong, and that's what you have. But biltong is a very, you know, you'll go into the villages who have never interacted with outside um, cultures from their own, and they have biltong just as a form of preservation, Uh, maybe not as many spices as you would find in South Africa, and, and... and this is where particularly in zimbabwe you would you would find what uh, south africans would call sacrilege you cook the biltong you you cook it <laughs> you cook it this is what they do in zimbabwe you cut it up you cook it in in a in in a in a, in a, like a stew, in a stew, stew yes in a oh, stew really? you tomatoes hmm. the biltong some peanut butter
1: Yes, so that returns a wood fight Yes. So
0: In fact, I, I remember my very 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 first article that was posted by the Guardian UK mm-hmm. was Bill Tongstew. Oh my lord.
1: It you was r- It was ripped
0: to pieces, even by people from Zimbabwe who don't really know their history yeah. and culture. It's like, this is this is something that they do in the rural areas. They cook their dried meat because the dried meat is not dried meat for dried meat's sake. It's right. not a luxury. It's a necessity. You are doing it to preserve the meat.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah. There, there's so much that goes on. I know, I was on. To,
1: like, I'm just listening to you so fascinated by how much you know, like how do you Find out about all this. I mean, part, part of it is you being partly West African, married to Zimbabwe, and having lived in Botswana. Yeah. Then also knowing very, quite well, actually, all yeah. the influences and the history behind it all.
0: Yeah, there's, it, it, it takes a lot of research. Mm-hmm. The thing about food is that I love cooking, but it's not just cooking. I, I, I always say to people that somebody's food is going to tell you who they are. Yeah. You know, because if you trace back um, historically, food tells a story. I feel like it it kind of provides um, information that narrows a, a gap. Is that right? Yeah, it, it can fill in gaps. You know, in my mind, it, it, it provides answers to, to different things. I mean, if you look at uh, West and Central Africa and Brazil, Mm -hmm. you know, there are foods that are almost exactly the same. Like uh, some are even called the same name. You know, like uh, uh, for instance, uh, Nigerian akara and Brazilian akaraje. It's a bean, it's a bean, uh, bean donut or a fried bean ball. I mean, they they serve it slightly differently, but essentially it is the same thing. Or if you look, Towards Central Africa, Angola, those sort of areas where you have gombo, you know, which is your right. okra stew, and you go to the deep south of America, and you have gumbo, yeah. and it's an okra stew. There are so many fascinating connections to be made. And whilst I would have never sold myself as a historian or somebody even interested in history. You can't get into the world of food without knowing or getting into the stories behind them. And it's so fascinating, which is why I say a person's food is going to tell you who they are, you know. And and there are many things, look, I, I, I hope to explore one day. You know, I don't know if you've heard about the... The African population that lives in Pakistan and India that actually came from East Africa, there are Black African Pakistanis who may have been Swahili.
1: Oh no, but I didn't know that. I know, I know. East Africa has a lot of Indian influence. There and all that are African, but I didn't realize India.
0: that. No, no, there are Africans in in India and Pakistan who are they've been there so long that they don't even know where they come from anymore but my best guess is that their food <laughs> is going to tell them yeah. who they are you know and i would love to explore that, is, that one oh day oh my goodness yeah there there, there is so much yeah. there is so much about food there is so much about you know not just history you know when you look in the, at the topic of food you 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 study indigenous ingredients because mm-hmm. African food is not just the recipes it is the actual food you know things that are indigenously African, the fruits that you only find here right. you know it gives you ideas of you know if if there are foods growing here naturally you know why not uh develop that right. you know why not use that to contribute to the food security of the country right, yeah. there are many uh you know for Meat for instance is it's an expensive product but there are many vegetables that are, you know, richer in protein than just the usual beans. For instance, bambara beans. Um the Nigerians call it here Iru. The Yorubans call it Iru, but those that's the Dawa Dawa. That's the fermented locust beans is rich in protein. Very, very rich food. Very, very uh, protein-rich plant-based
1: food. I mean, there's so much. There's so much, it sounds like. So this is where I would typically take a break, but okay. um, I wouldn't call this a break now. This will be part one, because we've dropped, we've, I've just learned yeah, so we've only so done Southern Africa. I feel like I've learned so, so much, and so what I think we'll end up doing is doing two episodes with you where we'll post the first half one week and the second half the other week because there's so much we still we still need to talk about your food experience in Lagos yeah. your recipe development the yeah. work you've done with brands I yeah. um, really want to be able to touch on that um, so we'll take I wouldn't call this a break we'll end here for this week yeah, and then we'll come back next week, which is unusual. The The podcast is every two weeks, but I think we'll post the second half of this interview next week so that people can hear the second half of your story because I think this is, I like even I sitting here just like in awe, I've learned <laughs> so, so much, so much more than I expected to today. So, and then maybe, who knows, we might come back and do specific regions in depth again. Uh, yeah. This is really uh, insightful, so much to learn. Ooh, let's, let's stop here now and then. Um, okay hey guys thanks for listening to item 13 and essence 13 production if you like the show please subscribe rate and review us on itunes to keep up to date on news and events from essence 13 please follow us on instagram facebook and twitter essence and the number 13 thank you